Last week, uh, before my Dharma talk, I mentioned that Bell Hooks had died, and she died about eight or nine days ago, and she was part of my introdu- my formal introduction to Buddhism many, many years ago. I read a, an article she had written, uh, something she had, um, I think it was an interview she had done with Pema Chodron, and it kind of piqued my interest and my curiosity, and so I got, I started getting more and more into um, Buddhism, and the rest is history, and here I am. And what I want to do tonight is actually take a little bit more of a look at her writings. And it was really sweet of Lion's Roar, the Buddhist uh, publication, to send out a, um, they send out, I don't know, a couple of times a week, a collection of articles. And, And the one that came yesterday, day before, was some of Bell Hook's um, best writing for Lion's Roar. And so I went through and read some of the articles. And what I'm especially intrigued by with her work is her um, dedication to the importance of love in practice and love in as a basis of, of what we do and how we go through the world. I mean, she's an activist and a feminist theorist and a... And, um, a cultural critic and uh, very outspoken. Um, she taught at Stanford. She taught. She went to school at Stanford, and well, she's taught all over the place. I don't know where all the places she's taught and published books and poetry. And she's really uh, was really well um, uh, established and quite well known and quite a, an important person um, in Buddhist circles and in um, in a wider sphere. So, but love was always a foundation. So I kind of wanted to look at that because one of my favorite quotes of hers I read last week is, and it's a quote that I use when I when I talk specifically about a, um, an undefended heart is when we ch- her, the quote is when we choose to love, we choose to move against fear, against alienation and separation. The choice to love is a choice to connect, to find ourselves in the other. And then another quote, and I don't know if they're from the same um, place. It says, when we drop fear, we can draw nearer to people. We can draw nearer to the earth. We can draw nearer to all the heavenly creatures that surround us. So that's a real dedication to love. So what I, what I want to do is just kind of touch on some of the points. And one of the things in one of the, there was a 2015 our interview with her in the New York Times and one of the things she talked about in that was this real dedication to practice, that there is in practice there's this integrity, and I'm gonna I'm gonna read a lot of her stuff tonight, so I apologize in advance for um, reading, but her word I can't paraphrase her. She says things so eloquently that I think it's really important to share some of this this great wisdom that she had. Um, But talking about the importance of practice as foundations, um, the Eightfold Path, the precepts, and so on. And she says, um, she was Christian and Buddhist. She was raised in a a, a very strong Christian faith, but Buddhism also was a very important part of her practice. And she said, Buddhism continues to inspire me because there is such an emphasis on practice. What are you doing? 
right livelihood, right action, you know, the precepts, as I said, it's, it's continually this investigation of what are you doing? That self-awareness, that, that what's happening right now, how am I showing up? Is my speech wise? Is it kind? Is it gentle? Those types of things are so important. It's a, it's, it's really a true foundation. Um, when our worldview shifts, when we start recognizing that our conditioning or our old ideas were perhaps not necessarily the wisest, where do we land and, and um, practice? And these, these underlying principles, this integrity is incredibly important. So that dedication to practice. And she says, the, it's the discipline that comes from spiritual practice that is the foundation of my life. If we talk about what a disciplined writer I have been and hope to continue to be, that discipline starts with a spiritual practice. It's just every day, every day, every day. And that's it. That's the consistency. I mean, we, we have a tendency as human beings to practice until we get good and then kind of slack off and then find ourselves drifting and then have to come back. I mean, you see it a lot with people who come to come to practice and then you don't see them for a while and then they show up and they go, I haven't practiced. I need to get back into it, blah, blah, blah. And they're good. And then they, everything gets good and then they go away. And But um, the consistency of, of making it not an adjunct to life, but part of life is so, so, so important. Um, and she talks about how practice and integrity support how we relate to the world. Um, if we, she, I love how she speaks. If we want to, and this is me paraphrasing it, but if we want to dismantle oppressive systems, we're going to have to run head on in, head on with the world. You can't play nice and, and, and work to dismantle. Um, I forget her phrase. It'll, I'm sure I have it in here some way, somewhere. Um, but it's, it has things like white supremacist patriarchy in it. Um, if you want to dismantle that, you have to be willing to um, go head on. Uh, and she said, um, and this is really important, we don't, and when we're doing that, we don't always have control how people respond to us. And that's where the integrity of one's intentions are very important. Because let me be totally honest, a lot of times when you get slapped down, you want to just stay down. But then you have to come back to your commitment, your commitment to practice, your commitment to service. It's this integrity. It's like, no, what I'm doing is meaningful. What I'm doing is important. It's this, instead of just going, I give up. I mean, we can do that, but really to make change, um, you need to have that foundation so that you land somewhere. I, I know it's been incredibly important in my life. And this, this, this piece is from an interview with, um, or a conversation that she had with Eve Ensler, um, who wrote the Vagina Monologues, uh, among other things. And Eve Ensler says, as Tara, Terrence McKenna says, culture is not our friend. We have to unplug from the culture and create our revolution where we are. You know, we've become passive recipients of a culture that is not only dividing us from each other, but from ourselves. It's, and you see it all around. I talk about this a lot. We are just conditioned and we receive without paying attention. It's like, you need this, you need that. I, I was dropping my friend off. Um, I picked up a girlfriend and, and um, 
dropped her off at her house, and we went by this shopping center, one of those big malls, and I looked, and there was a store. I could only see the top. It may have had a name underneath it or more, but it, the, t- the name of the store was Buy, Buy, B-U-Y, B-U-Y. It might have had other stuff, but all I saw was buy, buy. And I went, that's it, that's it, that's it, buy, buy. That's w- what it is. That's extraordinary. But we, we live in this world that says this is what's true, this is what's happening. Um, Thich Nhat Hanh says that all the time, you know, and he said this is his fifth precept. You have to pay attention to what you're consuming. Um, he says that what you, what you are watching you have to watch, watch what you're watching, watch what you're consuming. Um, con- technology has made it so we consume that many more negative images. You see it all the time. The, the consistent blah, 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 negative, 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 which is wearing and kind of you just kind of throw up your hands and go, why bother? But this invitation to um, really be grounded in practice is incredibly important, incredibly important. Um, and then, um, what is, yeah, we have to, our, our decolonization, the decolonization of our mind, our attachment to this white supremacist patriarchal systems of, of oppression and, um, uh, growing wealth and um, gender imbalance and all those kinds of things is um, ongoing. We have to be constantly vigilant, otherwise we become part of the, the, the continuation of these things that are not really helpful at all. Um, but One of the key parts of this is love. And that's what I started out with, and that's what I'm coming around to. And um, she says, this is with uh, an article she wrote, just it was published just in June of this year, talking about we have to be able to be fully present with the world as it is. Can we create the conditions of love wherever we are? And what popped up for me is the, my, one of my favorite phrases, right now it's like this, can I still be loving in this moment? Um, and she says, fundamentally, the practice of love begins with acceptance. You know, wherever we are is the appropriate place to practice, that the present moment is the appropriate time, you know? But for so many of us, we the 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 longing to love and be loved has also always been about a time to come in the future, you know, when this is when this is right or when all the stars align, um, it will just happen. But we actually recognize we have to we have to work at it. We have to work at it. Um, and it's really interesting. They they talked about it, and I didn't I didn't even realize this, but. Um, when I read about it, I re- it made sense that um, the growth of love in Western Buddhism has taken some time when, when um, the Western Buddhism, and by that I mean, I don't mean the traditional um, Buddhist 
practitioners, um, but when white people went over and said, oh, look at this, this is cool, and brought it over to the United States, um, it was very intellectual, it was very philosophical, um, it was, uh, yeah, psychological, it wasn't so much embodied or heart-based, it was all mental-based, and gradually it became um, more open, and that kind of um, took root in the 60s when Martin Luther King talked about love, and then Thich Nhat Hanh showed up, and he talked about love. He said, um, if you, Thich Nhat Hanh said, you have to know the heart. You have to be willing to, if you have to choose between Buddhism and peace, then you must choose peace. And peace is grounded in love. Um, Yeah, it was like it, yeah, it was make love not war in the 60s. So this bringing the the growth of love in Buddhism is just a fairly recent phenomenon, but it's incredibly important. It's incredibly important. Um how can and and the question is how could any of us truly believe we can create world peace if world peace is important and that's what a lot of the 60s was about and on and on how can we truly believe we can create world peace when we can't make peace in our intimate relationships with family partners friends and neighbors so if we want to create a world that is loving and just we have to start here we have to start here i can't do it globally if i can't do it intimately with my people because um, this, this, she points this out uh, because of the awareness that love and domination cannot coexist there is a collective call for everyone to place learning how to love on their emotional and or spiritual agenda we have witnessed the way in which movements for justice that denounce dominator culture yet have an underlying commitment to corrupt uses of power, do not really create fundamental changes in societal structure. When radical activists have not made a core break with dominator thinking, imperialist, white supremacist, capitalist patriarchy, that's what she says, there's no union of theory and practice, and real change is not sustained. That's why cultivating the mind of love is so crucial. When love is the ground of our being, a love ethic shapes our participation in politics. So I, that's a really important point. If we're just going to um, exchange one practitioner of dominator politics for another, it's not going to change. And we've seen this time and time and time again. It's like... This party gets into power, that party gets into power, this party gets into power, but the overarching thing is still the same. Um, us against them. It's this continual, you know, wealth building, um, not addressing the systemic problems that we've had in our world. We see that now, you know. We see it amplified in, in, this, in, this, in this realm we're walking through right now. Um, and that's why Martin Luther King and Thich Nhat Hanh, the Dalai Lama, Sharon Salzberg, all these folks are speaking more and more directly about the, the practice of love. 
I mean, love is important. I keep having Beatles songs running through my mind, but um, it's it's true. Um, but, um, oh, and then she talks about John Wellwood, who is the man who defined the term spiritual bypass, if you're familiar with that. Um, he says that l oh, love is transformative. Um, and many of us have suffered abuse as children, and this abuse is about lovelessness. Wellwood talks about the wound of the heart. You know, and this shows up as emptiness and anxiety, trauma, depression, and um, in the collective level, the wound, the this deep wound in the human psyche leads to a world wracked by struggle, stress, and dissension. There's so much trauma in the world that's not addressed, that's stuffed down, and we have to really, really be willing to turn towards this. It's like it's, we talk about it in our personal practice. We have to do it in our personal practice, this willingness to sit with the discomfort, the pain of our own experience so that we can heal from it, so that as healed people, we can move forward in the world with the, with the foundation of our practice and also this deep, deep well of love and compassion and kindness. It's so important. We recognize that the more compassionate we can be with ourselves, the more compassionate we can be with others. Um, but it's interesting, and Bell Hook says that being loving can actually lead one to be more at odds with mainstream culture. And she talks about her own writing and her own... Um, yeah, her own activism in, um, what does she say? I can't, I can't find it right, right here, but she says, um, when she says things to people, she calls people out from a deep place of love and wanting things to change for the better, but is often hit with resistance because people can't hear it because it's, they, sounds like you're picking on them or, or telling them they're wrong, but it comes from a place of love and it's met with an odd, you're, you're at odds with the, what does she call it, the white supremacist capitalist patriarchy. That is, that is kind of rules, rules, rules the, new, rules the nest. Um, she goes, when I began years ago to focus on the power of love as a healing force, no one really disagreed with me. Yet what they continue to accept in their daily life is lovelessness. We agree that love is what is, is needed, but we continue to walk this walk and, and, and live in this automatic re way of dealing with the world and bye-bye, and you know, and, and believe and listen and ingest and distract and go, I don't have to worry about that. I can go over here. But instead, she's like, no, you have to wake up. Um, and she said, Thich Nhat Hanh reminds us that to love in the context of Buddhism is above all to be there, is to be fully present. And he also talks about whether we have the time for love. Right now, there is such a profound collective cultural awareness that we need to practice love if we are to heal ourselves. The task awaiting us is to move from awareness to action. 
The practice of love requires that we take the time and make the time to embrace the change. To begin the practice of love, we must slow down and be still enough to bear witness in the present moment. How many of us don't slow down? The, 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 you know, the curse of busyness, it's, a, it's, it's in our society, it's, it's kind of baked in. That productivity, productivity doesn't allow for slowing down. So we have to um, be still enough to bear witness. If we accept that love is a combination of care, commitment, knowledge, responsibility, respect, and trust, we can then be guided by this understanding. We can use these skillful means as a map in our daily life to determine right action. When we cultivate the mind of love, we are, as Sharon Salzberg says, cultivating the, the good. And understanding is the very foundation of love and compassion. If I love, if love and compassion are in our hearts, every thought, word, and deed can bring about a miracle. If we have that as part of our, our um, I don't want to say DNA, but part of our being, if we have allowed that, if we had done the practice, if we have done the work and have found that softening and have let go of that aversion, then we can practice this, this loving kindness and compassion and joy, equanimity, um, it's incredibly powerful. It's incredibly powerful. And we have to see the practice of love um, in this relationship. We, see, we have to see love as a spiritual practice. And of course it's work. It takes work. It's not easy. If it were easy, this would be a hell of a great place to live. It'd be an amazing world. We wouldn't have to worry about people living on the street in, in the pouring rain that we have. And this is engaged Buddhism. This is, this is engaged Buddhism. This is being open, being present, bearing witness, saying this is the way it is, and speaking about it, and not, not, um, not just kind of walking away and, and walking over there but being willing to continue to do the work to, because we're coming from a place of love. We're coming from a place of wanting this love and compassion and kindness for all beings. Just as, um, you know, that one sutta says, the Buddha, um, you know, just as we hold ourselves dear, we have to believe that all people hold themselves dear. And so we have to treat all beings as we would treat ourselves. And that's, that's this equanimity, that's this equality. And that's this, this love that we have for ourselves. And as we cultivate it for ourselves, it, it, it bubbles up and we move towards others. And what gets in the way is this division, this separation, because people are lost in greed, people are lost in hatred, people are defining terms, they're trying to keep power. I mean, we see that. I mean, just study any history. You see it. I mean, it's like, it's, it's like right there. It smacks you in the face. That was what that meant. It just smacks you in the face. It's so 
when you're paying attention, it's so obvious. It's, it's extraordinarily obvious. Um, yeah, and so an invitation to move against this is um, generosity. Is, uh, is uh, yeah, this practice of letting go. Whenever anyone asks me how they can begin the practice of love, I tell them giving is the place to start. Sharon Salzberg sees giving as a way to purify the mind. Giving is an inward state, a generosity of the spirit that extends to ourselves as well as to others. It's not just financial. It's generosity of spirit. Generosity is that antidote to clinging, which, and clinging is to cling is to suffer. You know, we begin to awaken the heart of love. I talked about, last week I talked about the paramis, these qualities that we want to develop. The first one is generosity. Generosity is taught very early on in Buddhist teachings um, because it is such a, 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 a fundamental practice. Dominator thinking and practice relies for its maintenance on the constant production of a feeling of lack of the need to grasp. So giving love offers us a way to end this suffering, loving ourselves, extending that love to everything beyond the self. We experience wholeness. We are healed. The Buddha taught that we can create a love so strong that, as Salzburg states, our minds become like a pure flowing river that cannot be burned. Such love is the foundation of spiritual awakening. And she says, to me, all the work I do is built on a foundation of loving kindness. Love illuminates matters. When I write provocative social and cultural criticism that causes readers to stretch their minds to think beyond a set paradigm, I think, that, think of that as work as love and action. While it may challenge, disturb, and at times even frighten or enrage readers, love is always the place where I begin and end. So it's not this, this um, it's a fierce love. It's a fierce love is what it is. Um, What is, she, she, she uses the quote from M. Scott Peck, love is the active concern for the life and growth of that with which we love. And then Thich Nhat Hanh, who's really writes so well about this, we should ask the question whether we are capable of loving ourselves as well as others. Are we treating our body kindly by the way we eat, by the way we drink, by the way we work? Are we treating ourselves with enough joy and tenderness and peace? Or are we feeding ourselves with toxins that we get from the market, the spiritual, intellectual, entertainment market? You know, and there's enough, there's certainly enough of it to go around right now. There's a glut. Um, I mean, some people can feel hungover from just being lost in social media for 12 hours, and then you're just so psychically hungover psychically disturbed um, we don't even realize it so the question is whether we are practicing loving ourselves because loving ourselves means loving the community 
when we are capable of loving ourselves, nourishing ourselves properly, not intoxicating ourselves, we are already protecting and nourishing society. Because in the moment when we are able to smile, to look at ourselves with compassion, our world begins to change. So it's this love, not necessarily the love that we generally think of when we think of love, but this fierce love, this, this willingness to love ourselves, this willingness to break out of the ideas, these, these fixed ideas we have of ourselves as unworthy to love, there's so much of that. That's because of so much of trauma and lovelessness that we've gotten both in our growing up and in our, the society we live in because we're not quite good enough um, to be willing to practice, to be willing to sit and, and break down those barriers as much as we can and then recognizing that we have to face the world with this fierce love too. When we see things that are destructive, to point them out, not because we're like nerny, 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 but to come from a place of love. This, this recognition that there's harm being caused and the compassion and the love we have wants that, that harm to end. So that's why we speak truth to power. S right speech, saying what needs to be said. So these, the, the practice supports this action. The precepts support this action. The Eightfold Path supports this. And I am just such a fan of this. Um, I have a bias in this direction, but I'm in good company, I think. Bhikkhu Bodhi and Bell Hooks and a whole bunch of other folks that I, that I truly admire. Thich Nhat Hanh. Uh, a lot, a lot, a lot of people. Um, Lama Rod Owens, Angel Kyoto Williams. Um, lots and lots and lots of people are um, uh, engaged in this fierce love and um, changing the harm and breaking down those systems of imperialist, white supremacist, capitalist patriarchy. So anyway, my friends, thank you for this. I, I uh, appreciate your, your patience as I, I read a lot, but as I said, she was brilliant and had so much to say and... Um, I, uh, I wish you love. Thank you for visiting Undefended Dharma. These teachings are freely offered. However, if you would like to make a donation to help support the technology that makes these podcasts possible, please visit marystancavage.org backslash support. Thank you.